I think I'm going to cut out processed sugar. Where do you consume the most processed sugar? I eat like a donut a day. A donut? Really? Yeah, it's getting kind of bad. <laughs> I'm I'm stressed. Where do you get the where do you get access to the donuts? Dunkin' Donuts. Do you get a coffee? So coffee good. and a donut? Yep. I tell Aaron anytime you see like a five dollar charge on a card from Dunkin' Donuts, it means I got two donuts and a medium coffee with cream and sugar. Oh, there you go. Sour cream donuts, man. Sour cream donuts. Cool. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm you good. Right? I'm good. I'm exhausted. Good? The last seven weeks, I have traveled all but one weekend. And on that weekend, I had an archdiocesan young adult thing from... Or, well, those... And those are always yeah. good. Yeah, those are great. Those are great. Actually, I'm not going to lie. I really do like the lady... Archdiocese Gabriella, who does who does this stuff? I really do like her. I think she has uh, a good head on her shoulders. I think she is trying to do her best for millennials in our diocese. She's active at her own parish, which I think for a lot of people who work in diocesan stuff, they're just their parishes where they go to mass and not, or I shouldn't say diocesan. People who work for the church tend not to volunteer mm-hmm. at the church. And uh, that that always kind of bothered me, so I try to do some volunteer stuff here and there. So, whatever. That's a good point. I don't really do a lot of that. I should do more. I, I'm trying to be involved with the young adult stuff at, at my parish. It, uh, friend of the podcast and like only listener of the podcast is actually the young adults minister there. So, hi Sarah. Now, are you are you registered at bud. a parish? Do you attend a yes. parish? Yes. Nice. Yep. Nice. Yep. Well done. We didn't go there today, nor did we go. No, we were there last last week. Yeah, man, that's the that's the interesting thing because I was just talking with um, two young adult, or were they? No, they were youth ministers, and they were like, "Yeah, we're not really registered." And I was like, "How long have you lived at your house?" And they're like, 10 years." And you're like, "Oh, okay." It's like, well, you know, there's like three different churches that we go to, and blah 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 blah. I'm like, you just got to put down roots, right? Your local church is the ordinary path by which God will save the world. And we totally disregard our local church so many times. But I'm not really fed by the local church, so I have this movement thing that I do that I send all my money to. And it's like, no, I get that. But you also have a local church that you that you owe. Do you think there are too many apostolates? No. I don't either. I'm just, <laughs> just throwing it no, out there. <laughs> I think some should die. Because they were right for a time and place. If you can't tell that my voice is different, I have a pizza crust in my mouth right when you ask me that question. Oh, I want some food right now. Uh-huh. It's all right. But, yeah, so I, I don't think there are. I mean, I think some need to die. But I also think some new ones need to get started. You know, Bishop Bishop mm-hmm. Barron and Word on Fire, they're talking about a movement, starting a movement. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, he loves it. Yeah. Uh, wait, is, is that what he wants does he want Word on Fire to be yeah. a movement? Yeah. What would that mean? A movement. A, a movement. I, no, I have no idea. I mean, I, I have an idea of what that is, but like we talked about this before a little bit, so I apologize, everyone. But he did bring up at the convocation that, you know, in all the crazy ages of the church, there was always orders and movements to respond to what was going on. And I think that's going on a little bit here. I mean, it's... It's tough because I think sometimes we tend to think that uh, we only view the world, especially right now, in terms of like the past week, you <laughs> yeah. know. And so I think we see someone like or something like communion and 
communion and like liberation that goes back to I think the the nineteen sixties or you have read in Christie, it goes back to the seventies or the No, 80s? it's earlier than that. It's way earlier. Yeah. Earlier than, yeah. Or Opus Day I, I, in the thirties, like all that stuff. Yeah. I know that like the crazy guy from Marcy was doing stuff in the nineteen fifties. So um <laughs> I don't know how else to what else to call him. Um that stuff's you know, it's it's um there are still like fruits of that now. You know, and there are so many things like I was at a communion like liberation thing a week ago and it just blew my mind. I mean I was just on fire. Yeah, why? because um, it, it was basically a whole thing on how when we really need to dwell in reality and to let our like reason and and like and how to use our reason when we do that. And uh, I was just like, oh, my gosh. And it was just really mm. cool. It just was kind of affirming things we talked about in here and things that I've been experiencing in my own in my like own life, which is just like be present to now and like use the reason that God gave you. And everything's not just this um, crazy Holy Spirit, like fly by just whatever the Spirit's telling you kind of. What do you mean by that? Because I'm getting offended. Well, you know, just this idea of like it's God's really put it on my heart to do this. Like, no, your conscience made that choice. Like you made like you made the decision to do that, not the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit may have like prompted you, like may have like brought it up or things like that, but I think more often than not, sometimes we um you know, it's it's like in in symbol. They're like God just put it on my heart to date her. It's like, no, you saw her and got a little horny. Like and you were like, I'd like to talk to her. Like, oh, you mean like happened. how I broke okay. up with girls? The you know it's not you, you it's certainly not me it's God's telling me that we shouldn't be together yeah <laughs> the slimiest way it, no okay so I mean yeah the notion of having something that is well thought out well prayed over well discerned and then you make action intentional behind it as opposed to spontaneous flying by the seat of your pants and then blaming it all on well God. yeah but and also just like. Just and like one thing, gosh, I'm sorry, I was not prepared to to talk about this. So I, I need to, this is in the it's uh, it's a part of the book, uh, disarming beauty that I'm I'm reading, and it I just really just like accepting reality for like what it is and how how like reason helps us do that, and how when we do that, like what uh, what else like reason can do for us. Yeah, that's cool. You know what I. Uh... You know what I just got in the mail while I was gone in where was I last week in in Milwaukee? Oh, cool! Did more people send you stuff in the mail? Go no, on. No, no, that's what people do for you, like free coffee. <laughs> and my true. wife Guadalupe. buys it. I was like, Shannon, you, you know, <laughs> I could have guilt tripped them into giving us a free one. She's like, it'll help the poor farmers. And I was like, yeah, right. You with your moralism <laughs> and your farmer. social justice warriorism. And you're putting the gospel into action. Ugh, I'm a Catholic speaker. <laughs> I'm a Catholic speaker. I re- <laughs> Jesus says, freely you've been given, freely you're to give, and I charge a price. So clearly, I don't care about justice. Um, uh, the No, I got Bishop Barron's, uh, Bishop Barron's new book with uh, John, John Allen Jr. Oh, What's crap. I got to get up. <laughs> Ugh, no, thank you. To light a fire on the earth. Oh, nice. Listen, wasn't that the name of a blindside album from 2005? <laughs> I've said it before and I'll say it again. Everything Bishop Barron says came from blindside. <laughs> <laughs> a Swedish alt-rock um, <laughs> Christian band. From the mid-aughts. From the mid-aughts. My favorite, my, uh, my favorite uh, 
a blindside story is me and you going to see them at a concert as they opened up for P.O.D. with my now wife <laughs> and our friend Christine Murray. And uh, you you uh, you got me to start chanting, but we both were chanting. Um, what was it sweden rules or sweden rocks and then the guy the lead guitarist just started dying laughing Uh. (laughs) and then we started to name um moves from uh grand theft auto because we listened to blindside (laughs) (laughs) i would play blindside (laughs) while playing grand theft auto 3 the last level on i would just play it over every day i would play for like an hour a day (laughs) It was my meditation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, man, Blindside was actually a really good band. I think they're very – I mean, their stuff before they got really big for a bit there when they were, like, on independent uh, Christian band was phenomenal. Like, really, really good. And even when they got big, some of their songs weren't as great because you could tell they were trying to get a little more of – of um, have, like, a radio appeal. But still, some of their stuff, very yeah, good. Yeah, I um, was listening to them this weekend in the – Dallas Airport. The Dallas Airport. I was listening to some Blindside. Cute, boring love. Remember that song? Oh, yeah. Pitiful. It's so pitiful. pitiful. Oh, man. Oh, yo, they're, oh, man. Okay, if, if you could tell anyone to listen to one Blindside song, what would it be? Uh, uh, one blindside song. Shoot, I don't know. I, I don't have the list on the. What would yours be? You go first. Oh, there's a bunch. So <laughs> I would say my, like, weird. If you want to hear, like, a weird, like, uh, kind of, like, blindsided, they're, like, indie rock best is My Mother's Only Son. And then them, they're, like, when they were, like, a big, like, on, like, a big, like, label, probably Silence. I love Silence. That's such a great song. Silence and um, Eye of the Storm from the next album about a burning fire. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the song about a burning fire yeah. is pretty good. I thought about fire out the sky. I thought about fire. I thought about love burning in your eyes. I thought about fire. I thought about fire. Oh, yeah. Man, they're good. Very good. And even uh, the Great uh, Depression, that album that came out, their third album, very good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. good stuff. Anywho. Um, I'm glad, I'm glad we, were, we were able to talk about Blindside on the podcast. <laughs> there, there, there you go. We should have talked to Aaron Gillespie about that. Hey, can we just talk about Blindside? <laughs> hey, instead of your <laughs> stupid band that no one's ever heard of, Under Oath, <laughs> let's talk about the Swedish band. <laughs> um, Do you think they ate a lot of Swedish fish while they were on tour? Answer, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. What, hey, Luke, Luke, mm. Luke, mm. can I tell you how fun it was going to Milwaukee, being surrounded by Catching Foxes I'm so fans. jealous. Yeah, tell oh. me about it. Oh, we it talked beautiful. about it. I, I saw it. You hinted at it. <laughs> so I, uh, they, I have a little. I'd like some more. That's where you come in. Okay, so I do have to apologize to you, Luke. 
Um, because of catching foxes the night before, editing it from I, I went to bed at two in the morning, I had to get up at six. I was too tired to live up to to live up to your worthiness in young adult ministry. So on Friday night, we all gathered, we all had dinner, and the there was an un, official, unofficial kind of beginning to the conference on Friday night mm-hmm. at a hole in the wall dive bar called Lee's Luxury Lounge. Sounds like a place I would love. Oh my gosh, I walked in there and I literally didn't stop smiling from the moment I walked in. I was like, "Oh, oh, <laughs> this is this is what happiness looks like, gentlemen. This is the catching boxes <laughs> bump right here." Oh man. And uh and other people were buying my beer and they had a a, a handful of really good local beers on tap and so um they had this one the River River something. And uh it was so good, so good. And I'm walking around. I walk in. I was like, hey, give me a name tag. Let's see. And they're like, you want a name tag? And I was like, what? And so it was so funny because, like, I was so excited to be doing the young adult thing. And then, you know, you have the mm-hmm. handful of, like, Catholic young adults who are there because they're Catholic, not really because they're young adults. They're all a bunch of old souls, you know. And they're like, oh, man, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Let's get some quarters. Let's play some pool. Let's play some skee-ball. They had skee-ball, Luke. Skee-ball. Oh. But, Big but, fudge hit a rocket. <laughs> I let you down, though, buddy. I went home at 845. No, you were exhausted. Don't worry about it. Not all of us can stay up till 2 in the morning. (laughs) Not all of us are gods amongst men. As I'm leaving, someone says to me, or no, it was the next day, someone said to me, are you going to talk, you have to mention on Catching Foxes, Lee's Luxury Lounge, and how like sleazeball that sounds. And I said, I'll probably mention it, but I'm a little nervous too, because, well, I feel like I let Luke down for not shutting the place down. No, no. Ugh. Listen, do you remember how tired we were on Sunday after an encounter Houston? Oh, you mean after I woke up at 5 a.m. and went and taught or led yes. RCIA rite of reception and then taught a class and then I drove can't... all the way back down to pick you up? <laughs> yes, I yeah, do remember. Your poor that. kids were just, I was like, Gomer, <laughs> one of your child is under the table and I feel like, <laughs> like something bad could happen any minute. No, I'm sleeping. Yeah, we, we literally, we got back. My, <laughs> And we just fell asleep on the couches. <laughs> Your kid's just running around everywhere. I was like, Cecilia, yeah, I can have a photo. I don't care. <laughs> she's going through his contacts, making changes. Take, she's like, you now own 30% stock and blah, blah, blah. What? Good job, kid. <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess. What's the name of the company? Enron? I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> I bought the Bitcoin. That can't go wrong. Um, <laughs> here's, I think, my new rule for when I do young adult stuff. On like... If it's if it is more than two nights, night one I gotta go to bed at a decent hour. Yeah. Night two, then I'll then I'll rock it. Yeah. So that's what happened. So I played that template. Um, one of the other speakers that was there was Chris Frank, who I used to work with back oh, in the day at St. Lawrence. Yeah, it was awesome. It was really great seeing him and catching up, and uh, it was really cool in our tote bags that they gave us for the conference. Uh, they put a local beer in them, but no one told oh, that's us. That's cool. But no one told us. So me and Chris almost did the exact same thing, which was. I smacked my bag accidentally against the <laughs> metal elevator doors and almost shattered it <laughs> inside the elevator. And Chris threw his across the room, like, on his bed. Because we thought it was, like, full of, like, usually they're full of, like, nature's whatever, granola yeah, bars yeah, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. The, the things that crumb everywhere. Um, and his, like, smacked against, like, the nightstand and all shattered. And we were like, oh, God. Um, but, no, we had – he ended up coming to my room because we left at 845, came into my room after we talked to our wives, obliged to talk to the missus. And uh, and we hung out for a while, and then we went to bed early. But um, the next night, which was, you know, the encounters run basically from 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning till uh, 9.30 in the evening. 
and after adoration and talk, you br- you end. Well, they did. There's a local. Bre- there's a local town called Saint Francis, and the brewery is called Saint Francis Brewery. This is my favorite part, Luke. You ready for this? The mm-hmm. beers are named after the seven deadly sins. So you order a lust, awesome. a wrath. Uh, it's so funny. And uh, so I had I had one lust and two two wraths. But and uh, is they have like an uh, old fashioned. It's just called a chidia. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's the eighth deadly sin. From the, mm-hmm. you know. and, um, and then as I left, uh, I, I, le- I tried to shut the place down. I was all about it. Like when they were announcing that, she goes, the party's not over. We're going to continue it right down the road at St. Francis. Bre-. Before she could finish, I was like, whoa, whoa. And she's like, <laughs> I can't see into the audience right now, but I'm guessing that's Gomer. And yeah, it was awesome. And so Man, I, I, <sighs> yeah, this, we got to do an event together. Like something like this could be so epic. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because I could easily see it ending with, like, me standing on a bar just, like, doing something crazy. Shirtless. Yeah. Oh, man. Could you imagine? I, I, like, I will – I always, like, say, oh, once this happened, we have, like, truly made it. Here's my new thing because we've already hit, like, oh, like, a whole bunch of them. If we're able to do a live show at Cross Creek Tavern, that's it. I don't know what else there is after that. Could you imagine? <laughs> I know what uh, what else there is. More money from Patreon contributors. <laughs> yeah. The next is like Merlin Man, and then that's it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what else we can do. Oh man. So I uh, I've, I've realized something about me, Luke. I I am exhausted all the time now. Uh, there was a headline of a New York Times article that said, "With the rise of millennials doing side hustle, side hustles." And losing their we- – I think the title of the article was like America's Vanishing Weekend. It said uh, laborers who died to give you a weekend off, their fruits are disappearing or something because people are working these second jobs. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about my life and looking back at all these things, and I realized, holy crap, I've been gone more or less for seven weekends with work. And the one weekend that I actually was here at home, like I was said, I did the Diocesan Millennial thing in the morning until one, mm-hmm. and then we went to a pumpkin patch with my my parents and my uh, my family, and we got back from that. Well, then the next morning, it's uh, after the nine a.m. mass, I had to teach RCIA again, and so I I really didn't have a weekend with my family. I had like twelve hours, and so um, the two things that I'm really struggling with is like freaking keeping a weekend or time. For my family, the greatest gift that I had was All Saints Day. We had off from work. I I had gone the, to mass at mm-hmm. six a.m. that day, so that my wife would have the freedom to go whenever she wanted. And I basically turned my phone off and just was with my family the whole time. Hmm. Yeah, I um, uh, I don't have like the side speaking gig stuff like you. Um, at least not any anything really really near that capacity whatsoever. Um, but sometimes, yeah, I, 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 I can feel, I'm, I, um, I understand that. And I would agree, you know, I, th- I think it was a couple of years ago we heard, we are like, we, um, heard Merlin Mann, like make the joke that exhaustion's the new, like sign of wealth or something. It absolutely is. You know, and I, I don't, um, when is enough enough? Right. And right. that's some, you know, I, um. Without getting very specific, I worked at a school, and one of the people who was involved with the school, this person worked so hard at the school that it was evident to a lot of people that this person really had to take a step back. Yeah. And it was uh, 
uh, I, 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 gosh, I, I wish I could talk more about this, but I just can't. Um, uh, but I will say, like, it was so obvious that the person just really needed to stop. Yeah. That there was almost like a break in reality that was kind of happening. Yeah. Well, and I and, – oh, sorry. No, and it just, like, it hurts people when you do that. Like, yeah. it, it hurts your family. It, it hurts what you're trying to do. It hurts the people that you are working with. Like, it really does hurt um, if you're not if – you, if you're – like – you know, it's it's funny. Paul says, you know, we have we have spent our we have spent ourselves for you. But I think this is actually really important. Like, Paul kind of has a crazy personality. You know, like Paul seems like an overachiever. Well, Paul was also unmarried. Uh, mm-hmm. He knew his mission. He also alienated his, his one, a set of his missionary companions, and they left in anger, and he had to get another guy to be his companion during, on the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, Paul, I think a lot of people miss out on the thing, is Paul, we read a chapter in the book of Acts that could have covered several years, you know? Um, and one of the things that we lose sight of is that when Paul went to a town, he stayed there for like a year. Um, and he founded a church and he, you know, like Timothy and with Timothy, he made him into a rock solid bishop that he could leave Timothy in charge as the overseer, even though he was a young Mm -hmm. man. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he invested in these people and he built them up and then he left to the next thing. But the, the other thing he did was he was a tent maker and that's how he supported himself. So yeah, he was preaching the gospel, but he also made tents. And so while we... He did do a ton of stuff, and he was physically beaten and had his blood spilled, so maybe that's another sense of that being spent. But uh, he also prayed all the time, right? You can't go an inch in Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, without him talking about how much we pray for you. And every church, he just, I pray ceaselessly for you, you know? So it's not just, and I think this is the part that we lose sight of, it's not just the work, 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 work that he's doing, of preaching with people, discipling, evangelizing, rebuking, doing apologetics, whatever. He's also being alone and praying and making tents and going to the marketplace and selling it so he can sustain his own ministry and having conversations with people and being alone with God and all this stuff. So, But, 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 but there's, thing, like, there's an element within our church right now where some people will take, will use the inspiration of the saints. It's, it's almost like we'll do like sola scriptura without, really, without like realizing that we're doing it. We will go yeah. to the Bible. We'll see the example of people in there or of the saints, but we won't like see what other things have to say about it. So we take that as like the gospel truth, if you will. <laughs> we'll and take I mean, the gospel as if it's the gospel well, truth. <laughs> no, no, no. Because I mean, I, I don't mean like I, I, I mean like certain. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. I was a history major. No. But, you... <laughs> uh... <laughs> and it shows every time we talk. You son of a bitch. No. Uh, no. You mean like you take one little thing and you turn it into a, in a philosophy of life? And yeah, like like we think that Paul worked really hard. Therefore, hard work equals salvation. E- equal yeah. if we work hard at evangelization, it equals the salvation of souls and like our kids be you know like it's for like um oh man there's so many things that i want to say that i can't um we 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 <laughs> the silence is fine <laughs> i can still keep to myself it uh the well-being there isn't anyone's mission there's anyone's apostolate job or anything that's outside of the realm of their primary vocation 
that's more important than their primary vocation. Yeah. And that's, I don't know how to balance that yet. Yeah. Well, yeah, the idea is my primary vocation, my apostolate should not be held up in contradistinction to my vocation. Like my vocation should spill into my apostolate in a healthy way, not my apostolate robbing time yeah. from my vocation. That that notion of um, the the reservoirs instead of channels that we haven't sold the apostolate in other places mm-hmm. where it's like I'm a reservoir. I first am filled with grace, and then from the overflow, I spill it out to others. And you can look at your vocation to married life. Like first I fill up the reservoir of my married life, and then I let that spill over to my my apostolate and then from my apostolate i let that fill up and spill over into the next thing and the next thing and the next thing but i think so many of us have uh, my my big critiques is this we've overly professionalized things like evangelization Mm -hmm. and our culture today has destroyed the ability to play and to enjoy leisure in the way the ancients understood it especially and everything has become work. And I, I, I did a middle school youth rally where I said, you need to understand something. When I was in college for volleyball, um, women who were volleyball scholarship players in colleges all over the country, their volleyball season, uh, you know, like the actual game started in November. Practice started in October. Now you have to be on track team, you know, the, you know mm-hmm. six months before and practice starts five months before the season. And you got to do all of this physical training, all this stuff that never existed in college sports before. And now, as I said, now it's this, it's the thing that's going down to middle school sports. Like you have coaches that are screaming hysterically at kids and you have the baby boomers who never had that or very rarely had that. Um, like you could have a jerk coach that screamed and yelled at you to be better and come on, toughen up. You need thick skin, but you had that for like the football season. And when the football season was over, that was over. Now you have high school kids that experience that almost year round. And that's the thing that's like, even play, even sports has become work for kids. Well, and it's weird. Like, and when we, when we, when we look at like what we use for our like leisure time, what I think tends to happen is like that when we actually partake in like leisure, it's more about entertainment. Yeah. And so we either work too much. So we're just too tired to really be able to do anything with, with leisure time that's going to better ourselves as a person that has like no more of an end than just to be a better like person. Or we're just entertaining ourselves to death pretty, pretty much. Yeah. And I think, and I, I think there's I, – I really, really think that one of the problems is um, that – I mean, it, it, so you were talking about the overflow earlier, how yeah. our primary vocation has to – should, like, be, like, overflowing into, like, into like what we're doing. Well, that begs the question, what's overflowing into our, vo- into our vocation? And it's our relationship with God. And there's a really interesting post that one of our buddies put. And I know he, I think he was, I mean, it's Greg and I love Greg, but I could tell he was just trying to like poke the needle a little bit, you yeah. know, or sorry, poke people um, with like, with like a needle where he said, like, how about all the Catholic speakers who, instead of being a priest, just like get it, like they, they, they become a speaker so they can like talk about God, but like, and be married. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that's as much of a problem anymore. I don't know if it ever, like, was a problem. But I think it is a thing where if your desire is to be a Catholic speaker, you really got to think about that. Yeah. I don't I don't think anyone should 
as a Catholic speaker, I don't view my apostolate as being a Catholic speaker. And I think a lot of people who are getting into the biz, that's what they do. Like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't view what I – like, just the other day uh, in Milwaukee, I was walking with Chris Frank. That's right. That's who it was. I'm walking down the hallway, and I said, Chris, do you ever feel like when we talk about how active the church is, it's just how many people are given talks? He said, what do you mean? I said, I feel like whether you're talking about the Fullness of Truth Apologetics Conference that, you know, we got a big one down here either in San Antonio or in Houston, and we have all these things. I, I feel like we are hovering around – talks everything is a talk everything is reduced to a talk and we feel like we've done something because we've heard something and i'm really scared for the church because it's a bunch of like you know i can change the way i speak and drive home a point and make it emotional or inspiring or stirring or whatever and people could believe in the um, get carried away in the emotions just like you know people praying praise and worship letting the music swell and the drum beat thrumming and you're giving your life to jesus right there but really you're not you're just giving yourself over to the emotions people can do that with speaking i mean you tell a heart-wrenching story and then you connect it to the gospel and then all of a sudden people are like yes yes now maybe you told that story in such a good way that it allowed them to see the gospel for the first time that's what i hope is happening but we all know like it is very easy to use narrative to tug on people's emotional strings so my well, and, yeah, oh, sorry. Well, I was just gonna say. So I, I said that to him, and it meant to me that um, that the average Catholic who goes and hears these talks is doing their religious duty, and I, I, I am terrible at building teams and sustaining teams and working with teams. I tend to do the Lone Ranger thing, and uh, so I, I have this audio book called "On Building Teamwork" or "On Teamwork." And one of the points that the guy made was there's these two world famous speakers. And one of the world-famous speakers says to him, you know, when you get your, like, when you get people writing you letters thanking you, what do they thank you for the most? Like, really think about it. And the guy came back to him and said, uh, they thank me for my books. And he says, isn't that funny that we're not known as authors? We're known as speakers. That people don't thank us for speaking, and they thank us for the authorship. And he said, why do you think that is? And the guy came back and said, uh, you know, after reflecting on it for a couple days, he said, it's because our books are the process. Right? When you have people or, or books, you, you have a resource, and the resource enables you to go through the process. But a talk makes, the, makes that end goal of the process really appealing. So when I give a talk on making disciples, I can say all sorts of things. But at the end of the, at the, end of the session, I'm getting on a plane. I'm going home to my, parent, or my, my parents. Freudian slip if ever there was one. Oh man. (laughs) Perpetual adolescence episode two. (laughs) But uh, going back to my children and my wife, I uh (laughs) moving along, pretending like it didn't happen. Um I I I, like I'm gone. And I might uh, follow up with some emails and we might talk back and forth and some certain people that really were moved, you know, will will engage with each other. But that's it. That's it. I'm done. Well, it's 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 weird. You know, I actually had this thought. I'm I'm glad that we are. I'm not sure what we are talking about it about, but I'm glad that we are doing Thor this Ragnarok. That's what we're talking <laughs> exactly. about. Exactly. And this uh, patreon.com slash cf to hear that discussion. Um, I had a thought the other day where I was like, you know, TED talks are kind of bullshit because you have these little. Now there are some that are like really good, and, and like, and I don't think they really are bull, bullshit, but. They have these really big ideas, and they present them in like five, ten minutes. 
I'm like, there's so like, if we just change this thing, we'll change all of human farming. And I'm like, humans have been farming for thousands of years. Like, it's going to be way more complex than just like what can be presented in a five minute talk. How are you going to do this? And it, I think we do, and I think within a Catholicism, there is a little bit of this thing because it's going on within our. We we live in a culture of sound bites. And I think sometimes we want to hear those sound bites to get that endorphin uh, release we feel when we hear an idea that we think is really intriguing or very true. But we don't want to, like, deal with, like, the mess. You, you see it all the time within, within, within like, um, you'll have, like, a board member go, you know what? I want you to do do this thing here, and it'll be, like, and, like everything is going to be fine. And you're like, dude, do you have any idea how much work this is going to take? Yeah. Like how much time we're going to waste? I gosh, I feel like are we uh, repeating ourselves here from past episodes? Well, I mean, I'll say this. I feel like when you talk about politics, we have because of our mass media culture, we've become a a nation that doesn't want governance, we want politics. We want politicians, people who can wield sound bites uh, and mm-hmm. rally up a two-minute hate on Fox News or MSNBC, either way, and make the other team, team seem such the bad guy that you're forced to vote for your guy. But at the same time, uh, they're not uh, – like – and I really do feel like Trump is very much a part of this because with his mastery over Twitter and drawing – so uh, he is able to change any conversation happening anywhere in the world. He can change it to to be almost whatever he wants, even even harshly negative criticism of him through, you know, like when he makes fun of Kim Jong-un, <sighs> called him short and fat. And what I've never called him short and fat. But this yeah. this um, but, you know, the whole thing stopped being about the terrible stuff he was saying, the dumb ass stuff. Let me put it that way, that he was saying about, you know, when he was in Japan and it all of a sudden became about this hilarious and weird tweet that he sent out. He is masterful at that. But that's mm, the that's interesting. Yeah, I mean that's that's been the critique. Like uh, he got all the all the um, media attention during the prime the Republican primaries because he would say it's just such charged stuff. Yeah, and the you cannot if you're a 24 hour news cycle you can't help but talk about those things. And he knew that he totally knows the PR of running a campaign is to get them always talking about you whether it's good or bad. And so you know, there's a coach in the English. Premier League where if his team does a thing that he like really like that he's embarrassed by or like he knows may have caused them to either like win or like lose the game yeah where he doesn't want that or or there's something there's something his team did that he does not want that he does not want attention brought to at the end of the game he won't shake the other coach's hand or will have some huge because like each coach has to be interviewed after the, yeah. after the game, so he'll make some huge comments. So where the like press is all about, he didn't shake his hand. Why did he do that? Why did he say this? And they completely ignore the things that happened during the game. So basically, he he like pulls an old Donnie D. If you don't like what's being said, change the conversation. Yeah, and the biggest thing about that is that that can only happen in a culture of sound bites and. Two minute mm-hmm. discussions on quote unquote things that matter, and that's you know your your like criticism of TED Talks. That is the criticism of TED Talks. It's like Bill Gates came on to talk about solving the world's energy crisis using um, a uranium system 
and he drew like the, it. It literally was like the most simple, simplest of designs of like we'll just bury the uranium, and as this lever pushes this fuel up, the spent fuel goes down, and it's uh, automatically removed from the environment, and all this stuff. And it was like a seventeen-minute talk trying to get the complexity of a new type of nuclear reactor like it was it was so stupid and that's also yeah. the critique of people like malcolm gladwell who try to popularize science um i think what they're doing is gr- there is an element that's great like we need to popularize these very heady oh, sure. and complex yeah, yeah, things yeah, yeah, yeah. but at the same time we are so oversimplifying things that even if you get buy-in and things are a lot more complicated, you're going to get a massive amount of buyout. <laughs> like, well, you know, and it's like, here's the thing that I, I'm, I'm going to toot our own horn for a bit that I think <laughs> we do very well. When we don't understand anything, we'll say, I don't understand this, but here's what I think of it so, so far. Yeah. Like anytime I talk about the Anima Technica vac, vac, uh, vacua to anyone, I, one of the things I always say is like, look, I... I've heard a couple podcasts on it, and I've read a few. Like, like, I don't know that much, but here's why I think it's interesting and what it could mean. You know, there's always, like, a little bit of a, um, uh, like, precursor, if, if yeah. you will, to it. Like, just something like, let's let, let's provide some context here. And I think if Catholics, if we don't, if I, we, there's this thing that I see happening sometimes where I think we, we think we aren't impacted by the greater culture or other world. And so we just think, oh, those people with their MTVs and stuff, it's not going to harm like me at all. And then like your kid's on drugs or something. <laughs> you, know, you know, this is just like weird thing of like, we're just not dwelling in reality. Yeah. That we just think, um, to understand that like the, the world around us is going to impact our day-to-day lives. And not acknowledging that. It's just, it's it's weird. It's, I, I, I've experienced that a few times where I'm just like, it's, we all like understand that this is not reality, right? <laughs> like what you're talking <laughs> about just isn't the case. Like this, I don't know. Um, hey, anything else on this? Because I have a big, big topic. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I just wanted to say, me being a speaker is really ruining my family, and it is so hard for me to say no to these gigs, especially when they ask me, you know, a year out, six months out, and I'm not really. You know, I'll, I'll put it into my calendar to make sure that, that it's clear, but I'm not really paying all that much attention to what happens mm-hmm. before and after. And then all of a sudden, you have multiple weeks in a row. Here's the difficult thing. Can I lay this on you, Luke? Are you okay with this? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I make more money in one weekend than I do doing two weeks worth of work at my current job. So, if I were to book more weekend gigs and quit my current job... I could work four weekends a month, but be home five days out of the week or mm-hmm. four days out of the week and invest more time in doing all this other stuff that I cannot do with my jobby job being full-time employed at my jobby job. And that notion of, hey, if you come and do this big diocesan event all day Saturday and part of the day on Sunday and fly home, at, you know, get home at midnight on Sunday – and not see your family literally from Friday morning to Monday morning, um, you can make more money in just doing three talks over these, you know, these little bit more than 48 hours than you do in two weeks, in 10 days of business days. You know what I mean? And that allure 
it goes right back to your opening comment. When is enough enough? Like it is so hard for me. And this is, this is just straight up my sinful tendency. It is so hard for me to walk away from that money. I have a massive amount of student loan. Thank you, Shannon. I have a, my kids have always seemed to have a six to six hundred to thousand dollar bill for medical stuff every other month. And my mm-hmm. cars, between my minivan and my car, which we both own, we own our cars, uh, they have fifteen a thousand to two thousand dollars worth of repairs that I have to do because they're all high mileage cars. Every month or every other month. So I feel like if I don't do these gigs, I'm going to be sunk. Mm -hmm. And so there is this huge fear inside of me that says, Michael, if you don't say yes, everything's going to fall apart and you're going to be a failure. And I also have this other voice in me that says, if you're exhausted, that means you're a real man and you're really working. Mm -hmm. And I long to hear, and this is weird, but I long to hear my dad say, like, Holy crap, man, you're working three jobs. That's how you take care of your family. My dad never worked three jobs. My dad only worked one job. <laughs> he, he worked the same job for 49 and three-quarter years, right? He, but I feel like I have, to, I have to be exhausted all the time, traveling all the time in order to be uh, a good husband, a good father, only in the means of providing for my family. I want to be a hard worker, and it means I have to be exhausted all the time. I think that's total bullshit. I think that's totally my own psychosis going on, or neurosis, I guess, neuroses, but uh, that's my problem. Where do you, do you think, like, where do you think it comes from? Uh, Probably the fact that I'm the baby of the family, and I I just got everything, and so I became very lazy, and I want to prove to people that I'm not that. Mm. Um, and so I double down. I, uh, the other thing it comes from is at work, I do too much in certain regards because I'm not good at building teams. And I just say, Oh, I'll do that. Oh, I'll do that. I'll do that. So literally Mm -hmm. in one weekend on Saturday, I brought in Dr. Um, Edward Shree from the, from the Augustine Institute. He -hmm. did an all day event at my church. And then the very next day was the rite of reception of a whole bunch of Catholics, a whole bunch of people becoming Catholic, which I'm in charge of. And I was leading a retreat weekend <laughs> at the same time, an hour away from my church. So it, ju- and it was a family retreat weekend. So me and Shannon were the speakers. Our family was allowed. They attended for free and they paid us. And there were like 20 families that were there. And it just so happens that I gave the first talk in the morning on Saturday at 9 a.m. or 8.30 a.m. And then right when my talk was over at 9.15, I drove to St. Anthony's. Someone picked up Dr. Shree, brought him there. He got there at 10.30. I set up all this stuff. I ran all – I sold the – I had a handful of people sell tickets. But I ran like a madman, left, right, up, down, doing all this stuff. And then as soon as it was over, I had to clean everything because I didn't get anyone to help me. Jumped back in my car, drove up, and literally pulled my car up as my talk, as it was time for me to give a talk. Yeah, you're doing too much. And then did the same thing (laughs) the next morning. I gave an early morning talk, jumped in my car, drove, and did the right of RCIA stuff. So, and that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, that's not typical, but that is not a one-time thing. So, I've, I've been... 
I've been I have re- I have been wrestling with the stuff with with um with my job for a bit and just when I look at like my the big things that I that I'm doing and I and I read this quote that really hit me it's like a it's a uh, Bruce Lee quote where he said this is kind of a, a cliche thing but I think it's there's some uh, Bruce Lee was the master. Nothing he said was cliche. <laughs> anyway, so he says, I don't fear the man who can do 10,000 things. I fear the man who's done one thing 10,000 times. Huh. And it, like, really hit me when I thought about evangelization and my job. I'm like, holy crap. Think of all the different things that we all do. Think about all the different hats that we all wear. Think about all the things we expect. Like, we expect... Like youth ministers to be event planners, evan- ev- evangelists, stakeholder, um, stakeholder like mappers, stakeholder development people. At times, we expect them to be able to like work on like development, like do all these different things. And I do like you know I fear the man who gets done one thing ten thousand times. What's one thing in my life I've done ten thousand times? And besides, like watch Star Wars. I couldn't think of anything, you know, and I, I was like, what? Like, oh, you know, and I, um, and, and, you know, it's tough because like, there's like, those are like real issues. Like you're saying, like student loans, cars, you have a family, you've got, you know, you've got four kids, like, um, those are real demands on you yeah, and things that you are responsible for that you have to consider and you have to re you know, like, um, the worst thing that you could do is like, well, my like primary vocation is to be at home. So like buy other like income and then your family, like then you like lose your house. You know, like that's not a good, you know, but I think it does. um, I don't know. I I just think I would not be surprised if in like a a couple of years, a lot of us have to make some really hard choices. You know, there's an article about millennials and it says, will they be the first ones to actually have work life balance? And what they meant by that was they're going to sleep on their friend's couch and work the job as a grocery store um, bagger because it gives them the freedom to travel. It lets them, uh, you know, it saves them tons of money. You know what I mean? Like they're going to be woefully underemployed, but by doing that, their time is their own. And they're not going to be harassed by a boss who now that they have a smartphone, their boss can email them and make demands on mm-hmm. them 24-7. And so one of the difficult things with that is um, is accepting a diminished lifestyle. And I, in my head, I say, yes, that's what I have. You know, I don't have cable, but I do buy a lot of shit on iTunes. I don't have, you know, I do have Netflix. I do get HBO whenever Game of Thrones comes out. Like, I'll do these things that totally fly mm-hmm. in the face of my gospel commitment to living simplicity or poverty in, in one way, shape, or form. And I, to- I totally do that. Like, I will, you know, right now I'm in this war with myself to buy uh, Bluetooth Apple AirBuds. And I really want them, AirBud, which is the name of the greatest movie ever made, but also these wonderful $160 headphones that are wireless. And I would love to have those. It makes so much sense for what I'm doing constantly on the airplane, constantly doing this and doing that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but I don't need it. I don't need it. I do need to give my money to my church. And it's so easy for me to tithe to myself and to get caught up in the in the BS. But they're saying that millennials, because they are under – because they're not getting married, 
because they're not having kids. They don't have those responsibilities. They're the guy on the couch in perpetuity. They're Airbnb, Airbnb-ing um, all over mm-hmm. the place because they can travel now. They can go and see cool things. They can go to the ocean. They can do what they want. Whereas other generations who kind of are following the track that I'm doing, we didn't have any free time because we were work, 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 work all the time. Well, and I, I think one thing, and then um, I got to take a pee, pee break. Uh, I got to get wine. Got to get more wine. One thing that's really hard, I think, is that one way, one great way My to penis. live within your <laughs> one great way to live within your means is to want less. Yeah, yeah, and that's really like, 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 like. One of the things like me and Aaron are probably going to have to cut back on is the amount of times we go out to like movies because when we do, we go to the one where they like you like it's like a restaurant as well. So not only yeah. are we dropping you know twenty five dollars for two tickets, we're also dropping eighty dollars on a, on a, a meal. Do that three four times a month, that adds up. Yeah, really quickly. Yeah, so. yeah. That oh man, you saying that is so funny because. Like me and Shane go to the movies on Tuesday night because it's like five dollar movie night. Because mm-hmm. all all the rest of, and we don't eat. We eat with the kids before or whatever. Because all of our money goes to the babysitter. Mm. That's so hard. All right, mm-hmm. we're all gonna right. take a brief break. Dun, 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 dun. I the Lord of sea and sky. Hey, I have heard my people cry. Burbank. So, Luke, we've talked for 52 minutes. What do you, uh, what do you want to talk about? we got to process this Louis C.K. stuff, man. Louis C.K. accused by five separate women of sexual assault, mostly in the sense of he uh, masturbated directly in front of them. And one on the phone. And one on the phone. That was gross. Uh, except for the woman on the phone, all of them were consensual, meaning he asked if he could do it. But that's where the consent ended because they all expressed the fact that he had profound power and influence and they were admirers and they felt hemmed in by what he said. Mm -hmm. And they felt totally afraid and ashamed to say anything to anyone because they felt either A, he could ruin his career or B, that they were, you know, that it could be used to shame them, shut them up, silence them. So they, they remained silent and... Uh, all five. The rumors have been out since 2012. Gawker Media released some. They've been out. Some a, yeah, stuff, it's but. it's it's been. Um, so there was a person who came out in 2015 said that you know she basically she named names. Uh, yeah, Gawker had the article in 2012, and I remember hearing about someone on a podcast earlier. I was on like like Nerdist podcast. So there was a person who said, "Yeah, like I know a." comedian who likes to masturbate in 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 front of women that was like 2010 2008 2009 mm. so it's 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 and, been around and louis ck has uh on one of his shows he has a character number one in his stand-up he talks about masturbation like a lot and he has a character who is either like obsessed with masturbation or is like that's like his thing charlie something um and that was that was one of the key things and it was um in the, sh- in the, I think it was in the upcoming show that was just canceled by. It was by Netflix uh, on a movie of his that was supposed to be released on Friday called "I Love You, Daddy," where basically like that happens. And uh, so I full dis full dis- disclosure. I had heard those rumors. Even one of our buddy 
um, our buddy Greg, who's a stand-up, had brought it up to us about like a month ago, like, hey, he's probably going to go down next. And I, was, and I remember I even, like, when he said that, I said, crap, or, like, those rumors true. Like, you know, we, and um, I really loved Louis C.K., like a shitload. He was my favorite a comedian. If, if, if you were to ask me who's your favorite, I probably would have said him for the most part. Yeah, we had and, an whole uh, episode where we talked about that and why you liked it. Yeah, yeah and, and it, like, um, really sucks, man. You know, and, and I, like, obviously, most of the attention, if not all of it, so feel free to tell me to stop, should be on other women and the pain that he put them through and the damage that he's done to, like, to them, to his ex-wife, to his daughters, to the careers that he has ruined because now his shows are canceled. Like, when a show gets canceled or when a movie doesn't get, uh, like, released and, you know, it, like, puts people out of work, puts the people who yeah. – puts the gaffers, the best boys, you know, they, they people lose jobs over these things, which is why it's – like it's not just like good that actor got what's coming to him. It's like yeah, he did, and there now, goes the like, ecosystem that supported him. Yeah, like these people, they are basically corporations, mm-hmm. and, and 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 one thing, like they are like business. I mean, they are a business man. And Louis you know? Louis C.K. more than <laughs> others because he broke away from the agent model, um, yep. typical relationship. It's actually the thing that I loved about Louis C.K. and and Jim Gaffigan. I believe did the same thing. Um, he was looking at uh, at the cut that his companies that he worked for were taking and agents and all this stuff. And he's like, and Ticketmaster and Ticketmaster pissed him off to no end. So he called. He decided to do his own tour, called a hundred theaters, had all of it set up all through himself and his own people, and he booked the halls himself, rented the spaces, sold the tickets himself, and. And then he made his own CD, and he published that, and he said uh, he sold it online for $5. And he said, I will be totally transparent if uh, up to a million dollars. And it sold up to a million dollars. He kept people on track, and then afterwards he didn't tell anyone anything. Um, but he donated. That was the interesting thing. When he did that, he donated. He said, if I make a million dollars from this, I will give, you know, um, of, the, of, of half the money, I'll give, you know, to these three charities. And, and two of them, I think, were for, like, women's charities. I don't know if that was a little guilt there, but um, he he did that, and he totally went out on his own. So he hired – this is the reason why I, th- I brought this up. He hired all the cameramen. He hired all of the, the key grips and all mm-hmm. the people that ran the lighting and production and p- editing of his videos, all that stuff. They were personally paid by him. And the cool thing was after his album went you know, huge, the audio album, and then the video went huge – he paid them all. He gave them like a triple bonus or something like he, the bonus that he was going to get him. He multiplied it by three or something like that. And so it was a windfall for everyone. And it was an awesome way to leverage the power of the Internet. Like every nerd podcast I listened to, they all talked about this for like weeks. Like this is what the power of the Internet does. It destroys middlemen that are needlessly mm-hmm. there. And now here is where you might need a middleman, someone who, A, can keep an employee in check with good HR policies, although I guess that didn't happen. But, B, um, now the entire ecosystem that is he – is, he is an upside-down pyramid. He is at the very bottom yeah. of the, the point, of the pointy end of the pyramid, and all of it is going to collapse. And, and yeah. I, I hope he can give them some money. But he, he admitted that all of the allegations are true. In and he basically said, Times. like, and at the end of it, he said, uh, I've, spent a, I've spent a lot of time talking to people. Now I'm going to take a long time 
to listen, which which to me in like Louis C.K. terms, he's done. Yeah, he just said like I'm done. Yeah, like, and I think and he's I mean he's a really smart guy. Um, it's evident. It, like you, you have to understand. Like I've seen jokes of his broken down in terms of, like how they work and how and like how they're funny, and it's brilliant. I mean, it, it truly is. Br- I mean, these are like scripted, well rehearsed, well timed things. Where like the way he breathes is like built into a one minute joke. You know, it's all this, and it um. And so, I, and I again, I don't want to downplay like the pain that he's caused people. I and I, I don't. I this is the first time I've ever seen like a hero fall. So and, for and, me, and, it was Cosby. Like I was obsessed mm, with mm-hmm. Cosby. I was obsessed with the Cosby Show, and I mean, I loved it. I mean, my family, we grew up watching the Cosby Show, mm-hmm, and I can mm-hmm. only imagine what it would be like for for other people who. Like, Cosby's show was, I was a little bit behind in that, you know, I'm born in 1982, so I was a little bit too young mm-hmm. to really feel the, the you know, so it was mostly through reruns and syndication, but I, that show was, was one of my all-time favorite shows, and of course, Bill Cosby himself, there are a few things that can, that is better than that, um, but he also came to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and talked at, um, did, a, did a stand-up routine at Holland Hall, and I, uh, I, as a 15-year-old, 14-year-old, I paid to get the video cassette, the VHS of his recording so that I could watch it. Like, and when I found out all these allegations and all this stuff, like, that was, that was awful, you know, for me to experience. And I'm not making it about me. I can hear people saying that right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all about poor Gomer. No, I – it is – it is um, – it is amazing the devastation of a hero in your eyes when they fall. And for you in, in comedy, because you are someone who loves the art and science of comedy, to have your favorite guy turn out to be a super sketchy pervert. Yeah. And, and you know, and again, it's not like I had heard those things before and I was like, oh, please. And I think there's a little bit of like a just like oh i'm sure it's not as bad as it sounds you know like and it just uh because what i love and I, gosh I, I don't know how to talk about this so okay full disclosure actually tweeted at a uh, janine gaffigan to come on uh, on the podcast to kind of talk about this issue not about like not about like louis ck it himself but like as a catholic especially someone who likes comedy when this happens how do you respond to this like what's yeah. the pro? Like what? Like what does you know? And she said, you know, I would, I would, I would love to come on, but I, I just won't comment on that issue. And I felt a little, I, I felt really bad about it afterwards. I was like, oh, this is probably a friend, you know? <laughs> like, and yeah. that's just a little. But I mean, I get it. Like she was very cool, and like I'm, I mean, she, and I actually said, did yeah, you, let's like. Have, did you write a follow up? I said, did. I, I, I said okay. that's totally cool. Uh, let's like try something down the road, and she liked it. So I'm assuming that's like a sign of you know, cool. Uh, but I don't know how I could have her on right now and not bring like, I, I, it, I, not that I would bring it up, but it would be on my mind the whole time while I was talking to her. Yeah, because this is just such a big deal for for me. Yeah. So you need breathing room. You need a oh, safe totally. space. You need to go into a small room and just because I'm not one of those person. Like I would never be able to be in like the CIA. I'd be like, <laughs> the bombs are there. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Carey, we are going to torture you. No, 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 no. The bombs are right over there. 
Oh, nuts. Um, okay, <laughs> Sorry, so, country uh, of origin. <laughs> you know, and, and we've talked a lot about, like, um, I think some things that, like, Louis really, like, probably struggled with is, like, uh, hey, like, the line is, you know, like, um, you know, we had that we had that one episode where I talked about, like, you know, think about the times that, like, you know, like, as a guy, like, you kiss a girl and your hands start to move and you just think that she's given you the consent to do that because she is kissing you but like maybe that's not actually the case you know and yeah. um so i i don't know if did the, you if see this, saturday night live where they did the um the hr hr that was brilliant uh, it, it was, so here's, oh my here's gosh. a quiz um here's a doll uh this is you um the question is my penis belongs where uh, in my pants. Yes, yes, you'd yes. be surprised how many people get that wrong. <laughs> wrong, and um, so the road I'm going to go. Excuse me, the road that I'm going to go down. I hope no one thinks this is like in poor taste or anything like that or insensitive. That's not my intention. It's just to kind of process this whole thing. The thing about him that I loved, Louis C.K. was there was a desk. It was I found his comedy to be very theology of the body esque. Because you could, it was like gross and disgusting, and he said things that were horribly uh, crude. Yeah. But hear me out, hear me out. I know, I know. He I think he sees the depravity, and he sees the ultimate good. Like he's got a bit where he actually talks about like when we're like, oh God, uh, this is this is dark. Especially you already in, mentioned like, light it. of all. You already this. mentioned it. But like he's like you know when like we like are attracted to like a girl's boobs we're saying she can make babies I want to have a baby with her. you know like he's basically saying like I like he sees there's an act of like the desire for procreation in sex and do you I'm ever feel like, like you're reading into it because that's what I feel <laughs> I, I I don't think so I, I I really don't because I think there's there's this earnestness to him that I I always really liked. And this like desire to try to do good and to really like he's got this great like line in uh, he had a, he had the show on on FX where his like daughter on the show is complaining that his like older that her like other sister got more food than like she had and he goes the only ever time you should try to stare at your like neighbors at at uh, your like neighbors at your like neighbors um, her, at um, his food is to see if he has enough. Right, right. You know, and just as like, again, this like earnestness that, again, there's all this a depravity that's going on that he is making light of. But there's also like this little bit of like trying for like more, but not, but he, but he, but he, he also um, never really buys into the idea of there being a God. So I, it's, I don't know. I, I, I could be like wanting to see, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just really bummed because they're all, these people, Catholics, who are just like, that's right. See, this guy's trash, and we all we all knew it. I'm like, did you understand what his comedy was about? Because to me, there was something really. Um, I'm so upset because one, because of what he did to those like women. I'm just like, what the fuck, man? Like, what the fuck? Are you serious? Like, it's so evident to me that you wanted more than that, and you did it. Why, like? And it, it's just like the fact that um, God, I I really hate saying this, so I understand this is really effed up. This is just what's going on in my head. I'm so bummed 
for like so many reasons. Primarily that this happened more than anything, but two that his voice is now gone. Like I'm mad at him for what he did, and one of the reasons why is because he now like he's he's gone. He's he's over with, and I don't know how to process that yet. I'm kind of trying to come to terms with like. I won't ever be able to hear his stuff again without like thinking of this. There's, I just can't separate. I don't know if I can separate those, those two, those two things any, anymore. And this is horribly selfish. And I fully admit that. And this is so perhaps I just need to get over it. But it's just, I, part of this podcast is just us trying to like talk our way through things. So this is ugly and this is dark and this is, um, but I don't know what else to do besides just like get this out there. It's ugly, dark, and emotional, ladies and gentlemen. It's Luke Carey at his finest. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I, you know, I mean, it's funny because when I hear you saying this, I feel like you, you're like, all right, Luke, say the thing you're supposed to say about the women. You know, I feel bad that this happened. No, because... But, but I, you know, and I know you're not saying yeah. that. Like, you genuinely wish this never happened. But this is, it's so fascinating to me the way you're describing it. Because you now have lost the ability to respect your favorite comedian, right? So for you, the loss is the ability to respect your favorite comedian emotionally. And rationally, you can say, obviously, the reason why I can't respect him is because of what he did to these women. But your primary concern is the way it affects you, right? That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. like that, like, yeah, yeah. That's the touch. The yes. touchstone is now he's like, like I have never watched Bill Cosby himself again. And I've never watched the Cosby show again. And it, the funny thing was, I was planning on re-watching Bill Cosby himself. And I was like, well, can't do that anymore. That sucks. Um, but and so it's not like I said, well, that sucks for all of those women who he drugged and sexually assaulted. Right now, obviously, rationally, I mean that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean that. Mm -hmm. But my... I, I, I didn't know any of them, right? Just like you don't know the five women who came out. And he admitted 100% that it, what they said was true. Um, I it's, It is funny, though. It's like the thing that really sucks is how it touches us. And it, the way it touches you is, in, in a different way than me is he was your favorite comedian. And now he's, mm -hmm. and now he's gone. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and, and that's something that I – so perhaps this is more about like – the disorder within me, like my, my only brokenness. And I'm like, I hate the fact that like, this is where I'm going with this. You know, I was telling this to Aaron the other night and she was just kind of like patiently hearing, hear, hearing me out. And one of the things I'm like, I know this is so stupid, but like anyone, he, like people who I, um, when people back in the day used to ask me, like, what was the best podcast? You know, when that was, like, a thing. When, when there wasn't, like, 80 like million of, of them, I would always say, in my opinion, the best is WTF with, with like, Mark Maron. And if they were to ask me, what's the best episode of that, I would always say, and this was, actually, this was actually named at one point in time the best podcast episode ever, was his interview with, like, with um, his interview with, like, Louis C.K. And, like, now that's... Like the best episode of like the little thing that I do, the best of that is now tainted. Mm -hmm. Like I mean, and, and and a like not like oh it's got like a blemish. I I mean like gone, <laughs> you know, just like stricken from 
uh, stricken from the record, if you will. I don't know what's a good number, you know. Have his name be removed from every pillar, <laughs> from the yeah. wall of every temple. So do you think, is this just, is what I'm experiencing with all of this, is it just part of being a, being a person and, and American pop culture where you have these artistic heroes that you really don't know. You 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 think you do, but you don't. Yeah. Um, you're uh, to quote a band that me and you like because you turned me on to them. Your heroes are dead. They're all in your head. Mm-hmm. But I, I, we mm, uh, let me let me put it this way. This is what I think. This is the, how I want to put it. Because of the fall, we have a remarkable ability to make things about us. In our modern culture, as more of these sexual abuse and racist stuff come to light, oftentimes people in positions of privilege, when discussing them, have an ability, an uncanny ability, to make it about them. So, for instance, Mm -hmm. uh, famously on Fox News, after Charlottesville, all these people were directly making a link between Charlottesville and Trump and Trump supporters and white people that support Trump and white Republicans and white conservatism. And uh, this one woman on Fox News, liter- uh, I don't know if it was Fox and Friends. I don't know the different names of the shows. And she started crying. And she was like, people are accusing me of being racist. And then I'm for this. And I am not. And it's not fair. And blah, blah, blah. And then the comment everywhere was, look how they make it about them. Now, so my, my thing is this. I would say this. Number one, naturally, and if by nature you mean like, fallen human nature or just because of this is who we are as limited creatures you look at it at the way it impacts your life but then i would say supernaturally you should use what good old Teresa benedicta of the cross edith stein wrote um for her doctoral thesis you need to you need to choose to have empathy for those women and i think that's where Mm. you're acknowledging the women's hurt and rationally you can understand it but you haven't entered into their experience of powerlessness, their intimidation, their grossness, their embarrassment, the hideousness that, that, that was imposed upon them, right? And I think, like I said, when we started talking about the whole Harvey uh, Weinstein scandal, is this is the demise of white male-dominated Hollywood because their sexual perversions were allowed to dominate a morally promiscuous culture and men use the moral promiscuity of a Hollywood and, you know, these young, beautiful elites use that to deny consent or mitigate its, its ability, right? So even if someone says yes, their ability to say yes has been so mitigated by your authority, your power, your ability to destroy them, the, the, the amount that they admire you, the career that, you, that, that the person holds in their hand. Um, and so looking at it from this, what... Teresa Benedict of the Cross called empathy, the problem of empathy. Like, how can you enter into another's pain? And so you feel the hurt of not having Louis C.K. They feel the hurt of having too much Louis C.K., right? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how you need to figure out how to step into that. Mm-hmm. Like, when the Bill Cosby stuff came to light, I wanted all of those women to be opportunistic attention-seeking, you know, whatever, liars. And I had to stop 
and read their stories. This is the listening part. I had to read their stories and listen to and, and, and like try my best to empathize. And for most men, the way we empathize with sexual assault of women is by saying, I have a wife. I have a daughter. I have a mother. I would never want that to happen to them. Therefore, mm-hmm. and I've, a lot of people make fun of that, like, oh, right, a woman doesn't have dignity unless she's yoked to a man. I would say that when men say those things, it's it's their pathway to empathy or at least sympathy. But, like, imagine being a woman who is meeting her hero. He buys her a drink. She's on cloud nine. This would be equivalent if Reese Roper slipped you a roofie, the lead singer of Five Iron Frenzy. Like, and then all of a sudden, your your vision is blurry. You lose control. And... Here is this man taking you to his hotel or his car or whatever it is. And you're just like, here's my hero. And now he is nothing. He's a monster. Like, and he did it to me who loved him and admired him and cherished him. That uh, the ability to enter empathically, I think, is the duty of a Christian because of the cross. Because he entered into my pain and suffering, but he also entered into my sin and what my sin does to other people. And he became that's my a, sin. That's a really good point. About, um, I mean, like all of it, but just the way that you wrapped it up with like Christ, you know, becoming a God, becoming man, even unto death on a cross. I mean, entering into that. Yeah, Hans Urs von Balthasar, his, his you know, contribution to the Apostles' Creed. The Nicene Creed said he ascended into the dead. The Apostles and Older Creed, the Apostles' Creed said he descended into hell. And this notion that Hans Urs von Balthasar calls it entering into God-forsakenness, where man's greatest no to God in hell, God still says yes to man. And if you think about it, like Jesus took my sin so that I might receive his righteousness. That doesn't mean he pretends my sin doesn't exist. And when we think of sin, we kind of sanitize it, right? Mm-hmm. Like Matt, Matt Frad had a great, um, a great thing that he said. God, every episode is about Matt Frad. Uh, <laughs> he, had a, he had a great thing. It always where, comes back to that. Yeah, where he's like, oh, you know, I'm just so broken. Oh, I struggle. And it's like, no, say it what, say it what it really is. Like, oh, I, uh, I have a lack of self-worth, so I'm going to go home and masturbate and look at pornography. You know, he's like, say it mm-hmm. that way. Then it's not like as classy as be like, well, you know, we all struggle, you know. And when you put it in the perspective of Jesus took my sin, Jesus took the, uh, you know, the, the hatred that I had for so-and-so into himself. So he took the sin that I committed and became that. And I don't know what the heck that means, but that's what the Bible says. He became sin. And if you think about it from that perspective, like he took both the wounds and the, the, the wound giving into himself. And when you put it in that perspective, like, you feel bad because you can't enjoy Louis C.K. But you need to learn to feel bad because of what Louis C.K. did to those women. Mm-hmm. And then you need to feel a sense of righteousness to make sure that doesn't happen to another woman. Yeah. And I, I, it's, um, and I, I really do want to emphasize, like, I, don't want, I really hope people don't think that I'm just like, I lost my comedian. You know, like, like, that's not what, like, this is just, yeah. I'm so sad. Give me a cheeseburger. It's just a thing going on in my head that I want to process on the podcast because I think it's Because uh, you're an external processor. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah honestly. And, and I do think it's, like, the, the hard part, the hard part. See, there you go again, trying to, trying to be, like, okay, let's just call a spade a spade. The hard part for me is, like, I know that that means I will lose what i this thing that i hold dear yeah 
you know, and that's okay. And that's, um, I think it's okay not to mourn it, but to be like, that sucks. You know, to, 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 now that should always be not, I mean, that should not, that doesn't trump or shouldn't even come close to like the empathy you feel for the women and his victims. And the, again, I, I love you said like a sense of like righteousness that it doesn't happen again. But I think it's, um, I do think it's okay to acknowledge that like, um, at least at, at first, I don't know. I could just be again trying to justify. I, 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 I'm, I, I, I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm going to let it go, if you will. Like, I won't say he's my favorite anymore. Like, it'll be, you know, it'll be put it to rest. But I don't, I do have to acknowledge that it hurts to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of putting it to rest, do you want to put this, this topic to rest? Yeah. Yes, no. I will. Because I, yeah, yeah. Because I could just, I could go on and on about it. So. No, it's not not that I, I don't want you to go on and on about it, but I would love to have Janine Gaffigan and and or Jim Gaffigan on here. And I I desperately want to have I, I don't know if you remember, but like a year ago I was like, I am gonna write to Janine Gaffigan and see if she wants to come on the show. Um yeah. and we never did that. But um No, I, I really think I'll need a, about a month or so. Because yeah. it just I, I wanna be able to like be fully present to them and just because I mean let me put it this way, like I thought that, like, Louis, his TV show, to me, was one of the best ever I've ever seen. Yeah, a lot of Just, people did. A lot of people yeah, did. And, yeah. You know, and, like, I'm not even going into, like, I mean, I, I'm, like, I'm, like, mad. I'm, sorry. I, I got to stop. Last thing. I am so mad at myself that I didn't watch Horace and Pete yet. Because yet, now I won't be able to, like... I'm just like, shit, because that's oh, such a right. brilliant yeah. thing that I heard, like, you know, that it just was totally, it's not a comedic thing. It's it's more like a play, if anything. It's all right, yeah, just, um, who do you think's next? I mean, do you, do you think this is going to just keep going? I hope it does. Yeah, I, I mean, if I, people, I hope, you, know, the, the, you know, the catechism of the Catholic Church talks about how sin can compound until basically there becomes these structures of sin or social sin. And a lot of people worry about the the phrase social sin because who's committing the sin when it's social sin? Well, you can't have a structure committing sin. What the hell's a structure? But they are built on the fallen ideology or the ideologies of a fallen human nature, right? And so mm-hmm. you can have things like institutional racism where where people who are black-skinned or dark-skinned are automatically devalued because of the myths and narratives that people within that institution commonly share. Oh, you know, black men, you know, they're more violent or they're this or they're that. And so there is this this notion where you're already on the defensive every time you're talking with a black man, therefore you're going to have the propensity to use deadly force or excessive force or whatever. So you have that that totally exists. Now, we want all structures of sin. We want to we want to smash the the fortresses and strongholds of the devil, and I feel like we are witnessing the union of <laughs> of a graced moment with uh you know just straight up liberal indignation and i th- i think these two are colliding together to weed out the worst of hollywood because hollywood is driven by twisted steel and sex appeal you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's all mm-hmm. about women are sex sex objects um you know and and the warp thing is like the game of thrones kind of warpness is uh, someone made the comment, well, there's so many women's breasts. Where are the men's penises? 
And so they started showing men's penises. <laughs> and it's like, oh, how about you just stop using women as sex objects instead of agreeing, okay, we'll use both of each other equally yeah, so, as objects. Well, you know, it's it's very interesting. So George Clooney on his – and I like George Clooney, so I'm not going to say on, on his high horse. But he said, you know, like he basically way back when he said we are a, a compassionate bunch. That's why I like Hollywood. Like Hollywood has a compassion. And I would agree with that. I think it's because like film – is it like is like a medium based on two things one is a visuals but even more but even on even on a deeper level it's about what it makes you feel so it's very passionate it's very emotional and i think when those emotions get so you have a lot of emotionally driven people and when you have – and when your passions and your emotions are disordered, you're going to end up with a big cluster. And I think we're seeing part of the reckoning of that that's 100 years deep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean these studios bought and sold people's lives. I mean it's mm-hmm. crazy. And and powerful directors could destroy people's careers. And women um, – uh, what's her name? Uh, Margaret O'Hara talks about because she was a chaste woman – um, men would say she's a – and she directly refused to be raped. She was labeled as a difficult actress, and other directors didn't want to work with her. You mm-hmm. know, and this is, this is like a brilliant, wonderful, beautiful actress. And because of all of those things, and she was a woman of virtue, now she's not going to have a job. That's the world we live in. And to watch those strongholds come down I think is a great and glorious thing. Um you know, there there are elements that I don't, you know, I mean, I am not a, yeah, anywho. I, so I, I am interested to watch the fallout of this happening. And I would love, I think George Clooney, though, is totally wrong. I think George Clooney was, when he, it was a, like an Academy Awards acceptance speech. And mm-hmm. uh, the South Park did an episode where the smugness of his acceptance speech, speech became like <laughs> yeah. smog, right? And it was like, yeah. the smug. And they're like, you mean smog? And it's like, no, smug. Uh, and his his acceptance speech was was I feel like it was very, I mean I understand what you're saying but it was very tone deaf like mm-hmm. as long as you're a, a, a white male actor who is literally one of the most handsome men who has ever lived so and he's from where I'm from so go on Oakwood no uh, Cincinnati no but like how many black people have to like even Will Smith who who they used to call uh, summer time, the summer of Will Smith, because every mm-hmm. year he, he owned had, the Fourth of July. Yeah, and he had the blockbuster of the summer. But even he was the what? What did Spike Lee call him? I, the mythical, magical Negro in the Legend of Bagger Vance, right? Like here he is, this black guy helping this white guy, Matt Damon, become a great golfer on a golf course that black men weren't allowed to golf on. Like mm-hmm. you know, and you have things like um, the Green Mile, where you got the you know I can't remember the guy's name, but the that guy who could he actually you know he was in prison because of racism. They're even trying to talk about racism, but still he has to die so that the righteous one, in this case Tom Hanks, can can be the hero of the film and like all these different things going on it's still like i'll never forget like the mummy three where they're like and it's like and maria gonzalez as princess hip hop how to it's like yeah i guess the mexican's the same thing as an egyptian i guess they're all the same color in hollywood 
right? Mm. Like, this is shade of brown. So, you know what I mean? Like, there's elements of that that you're like, really, George Clooney? Yes, that's right. You're so progressive. Have you, you watched uh, Get Out? I have not. Watch it. It's, it. It tackles exactly what you are talking about in some really great ways. It's a very, very, very good movie. Listen, it, Luke, I would have voted for Obama three times. <laughs> it's exactly it's yeah it's what the movie's about and it's um it's classified as a horror but i don't think it's a horror film at all so it's excellent Ex- I, mean, I mean like you know me i don't do horror films because i'm a little pansy but that i, I don't do. do horror films at all yes well played yeah no th- uh this is not i mean it's got some um it has a, like a little bit of, like violence to it but it's not i mean it's 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 good very very good all right okay luke we need to wrap this up so i can go nighty night um I'm on a roll. It's one in the morning here. I'm I'm going. Well, you're going. It's almost like you're at a bar with millennials. Um, <laughs> so next week, I'm really excited. So we're recording this on Sunday. Uh, I am going to work tomorrow morning on getting the bonus episode published for our Patreon supporters. You go to patreon.com slash CF. If you donate $10 or more a month, you get access to our bonus and after shows. Uh, not every show is an after show. Not every show is a bonus show. But um, this week, we're doing... Uh, a bonus show on our review of Thor Ragnarok. So um, hope you can enjoy that. Uh, if you don't... <laughs> so $10 or more on patreon.com slash CF. We'll get to that. Um, also, uh, we are going to interview this Wednesday night uh, the two founders of Eden Invitation. Eden Invitation. Uh, mm. Reaching out uh, to the LGBTQ community and um, encouraging them to live an adequate anthropology and theology of the body and all that good stuff. I met these two women. Uh, I encourage you to go on their website, Eden Invitation. Uh, when this episode is published, we, have already inter- we will have already interviewed them. But I was at this event in Milwaukee, Encounter Milwaukee. Wonderful time. Met a lot of Catching Foxes fans. Sorry, Sam. I didn't get a picture with you. My bad, bro. Um, but uh, I ended up talking to these two women, um, Shannon and uh, Anna or Anna. I think it's Anna. Um, Shannon and Anna for like an hour straight and uh, and they sent me a message and we touched base so it, it's a go for this Wednesday I could not be more excited it was an awesome conversation so um, and cool. we touched on, we touched on everything and I she said uh, it was really great talking to you about uh, transgender bathroom issues Donald Trump and um, what was it and uh, and testicles because I told them how and they were like well describe catching foxes and I'm like well it's kind of it's explicit so sometimes we cuss but that's because we're trying to be honest and sometimes we're just trying to be too funny and um, and there's a like it's it's just really honest discussion like oh that's cool I was like and a lot of dick jokes for like a Catholic podcast like <laughs> like a lot, lot. <laughs> like a little bit like oh wow is that like a thing for you guys or <laughs> yeah. We can neither confirm nor deny it's a thing for us. So. Oh, speaking of con- not being able to confirm or deny, I got really mad about some stuff, but we'll talk about it later because Aaron told me to not bring it up on the podcast. Go on. Okay. I think Patreon.com slash CF. Facebook.com slash Catching Foxes Podcast. Wait, sorry. You did what? No, I also want to say to those of you who are writing us emails, thank you so much. Th- for your oh, feedback. yeah. Seriously. We will come to your email as soon as we can and hit reply. Uh, this is this is not our primary jobby job. If you do want to get, it's easier to get in cut, touch with us through Facebook because it's shorter communication, and emails people tend to be a lot more verbose. And so, if you have written us a long email, let me tell you this: we have read it, 
and we will get back to it when we can take the time to respond. I got a, a follow-up email. I've had a several follow-up emails of people being like, uh, hello, I can't imagine you're getting so many emails. And I'm like, I, I oh, literally get hundreds did? of emails. Yeah. That's why, that Luke, I forward emails to you so that you will answer well, some of them. <laughs> I would love and to see do. some of I'd love to see some of the other emails, or feel free to text me, Harry code 208-451-6915. I'm not bleeping that out. I don't care. I don't With everybody, you're like, I don't care. It's the bishop's phone number. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Episode 116 is in the can. Wait. I stole someone else's. Is thing. it? All right. I don't know. All right, Luke. Bye. 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 I'm, bye, I'm buddy. Here. Bye, Hope you find, find your dad. dad. <laughs> <laughs> Almost Christmas. Oh, I know. We're getting so much into Christmas. We are. I am going to pay people to put lights on my house. That's awesome. I've never done that before, nor since. All right, we're pushing stop in three, three two, two, one. one.